tonight on Whiskey Waffle. I don't think this is undone, but I think there's still a bit of pink in the middle. Here I go. I'm about to say it. I get sour plums. Sour plums. Oh, my God. We, we do like some anus coffee here. <laughs> <laughs> That's this episode on Whiskey Waffle, the podcast. I mean, cast. Good evening, Nicholas. Good evening, Ted. And what a pleasant evening it is. It's, yeah. Um, it's beautiful. been a beautiful warm day here, and it's a very mild... Um, sure. The windows are open. You can probably hear the sounds of the birds chirping out there. I can hear the um, crickets. Yeah, definitely some crickets. That's every time you tell a joke, Ted. Although, I will say, the, um, the nights are starting to slowly get darker. That means it's time for whiskey earlier. Whiskey earlier sounds yeah. like a good plan to me. Yeah, nice one. Anyway, welcome along, everyone, to episode 44 of the Whiskey Waffle podcast. We are two Tasmanian whiskey fans, and yeah, we've got not one but two drams filled up right now with a tasting going on. We certainly do. Very tasty as well, might I add. Mm. One is a mystery dram. The other one, though, is a uh, tilling release. Um, single grain, Irish whiskey. And the it's- bottle is dead. It's dead, yes. Forty-six mm. percent. Um, it's one of my. It's one of my actual uh, aims this year, Ted, to kill more bottles. Yeah, it's... I keep buying more and not finishing them. So <laughs> you ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> I have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, and, and my problem isn't actually like drink. It's no. the not drinking of the <laughs> bottles. <laughs> yeah, it's the the, the magpieing of uh, all those bottles. Yeah, but anyway, we've uh we've been on a bit of a whiskey adventure since we've last spoke, haven't we, Ted? The boys on tour. We were on tour. We've uh, we snuck away. We try and sneak away at least once a year, but we've uh, we've got away already in 2022. We we made it down to, <laughs> believe it or not, the exact same location that we went on our last whiskey trip. Woo! <laughs> but we liked it so much. Very different mood. Oh, absolutely. So when we went down last time, it was definitely the first time, and we're excited for all future visits. This was definitely our last visit. Yeah. Well. Not necessarily to the site. True, we might get back on those grounds again. Yeah, so we went and visited Sheen Distillery. On their last day of existence. Yeah, it was It was an interesting day. It was very quiet. They it was. They hadn't... We were it's a bit understated. Expecting maybe to see a few people there, like some hardcore fans like us. Yeah, doomsday party sort of thing. Yeah, but, uh, but really... It was not um, that. Had a few tourists sort of stumble in and be told, oh, we're actually closing down today yeah um, you won't coming, be able to though. get any tomorrow so. yeah. <laughs> yeah um so we went on the 31st of january and lark distilling company the house of lark took over on the 1st of february mm. um and it's one of the things that we found when we were there it's really interesting there's been a bit of a 50 50 split basically um so the stuff who, being, who gets the kids yeah who gets the kids yeah this is it no it does it does feel like a bit of a divorce uh, aftermath but anyway um some of the kids uh, are remaining with um with the with the mother um at the original site, yes. um when Lark come in and and swoop in and take over that spot. Yeah, some of them have gone up the road with Dad to his new pad, mm. um at Oatlands. Yeah, yeah, Callington Mill. Callington Mill, John Ibrahim's little well, I say little, yeah. massive <laughs> new development. This is it, and there didn't seem to be a lot of tears shed on either side of this breakup, um except for maybe. Poor old David, the um, David Kernicke, yeah. the founder, um, co-founder of Sheen Estate Distillery. But he's got his own projects that he's heading off to. Um, some new building restoration coming up in Hobart. So I'm pretty excited for him. But in terms of everyone else, 
yeah, some people are really excited to see what the future holds with Lark, remaining out at the Pontville site, as it shall henceforth be known. And there's a bit of excitement around Callington Mill. Mm. Well, go check out their website. Seriously. Um, mm. it's, you'll be They've got ast- eight bottles available Astonished at how much whiskey is actually up there. Yeah. It's now, all been distilled at either Redlands or at Sheen itself. Yes. Mm. There's, there's, there's nothing actually there, I think, that's Callington itself. No. But it's been made for Callington. It's under the Callington label. Yep. Um, well, it's, it's all, I suppose, stuff that's in John's um, portfolio. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I found really interesting is chatting with the guys that were heading up to Callington is that really they're trying to continue under the sort of style that Sheen have produced. So those heavy fortified um, sort of bits and pieces. And really interestingly, they have access to the cooperage that they built out at Sheen for another 12 months. Mm, that. We did discuss that on the way down, um, sort of wondering what was going to happen with that. And yeah, it's, I suppose, there'll probably be a crossover. I'm anticipating that Callington will build its own cooperage to service its um, Yeah, they've, they've done needs. it once, they can do it again. Yeah. Also, just, we should say, big shout out to the lads from Corowa yes. Distillery. Um, Dean Drews does things. Yeah, Dean Drews does things. Check it out on Insta. It's great. Um, <laughs> he yeah. certainly did things that day. We um, we brought them to our end of the world party. That's it. It was all looking a bit um, dim, but then we uh, saw a little message on the socials. The lads were had rolled into town, um, mm. and we encouraged them to Victoria. come up. And yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, it was good to good to catch up with Drusy and uh, some of the team muscles. Um, yeah, and some of the people that are not on the characters' bottles. Yeah. Where was that? Where's the dreaded distiller? Probably at home. Yeah, someone's got a man the still. Slaving over a hot still. Yeah. (laughs) But no, it was good to see Drucy and Co. And um, yeah, catch up with those boys. Yeah. um, So, on the whole, it was was a weird day. It was a a sad day. It was kind of a... It was a fun day. It was a fun day. Mm. There was Um, lots of whiskey consumed. Yeah. Especially by us. But... Yeah, but... I don't know. I just... I suppose... On one hand, yeah, I really just feel an overwhelming sadness that... Mm-hmm. But it felt like we were the only ones there feeling this. Like everyone else, they've already been resigned to this fact for a long time, whereas you and I went there to get closure, and everyone else has got closure a long time ago. <sighs> How does the world end? Not with a bang, but a whimper. And a serendipity experience. Yes. So closed closed distilleries. I mean, yeah. this this one's interesting in that it's I suppose it's it's a defunct brand now, and the distillery will continue on. But although it will it though, because like Lark are coming into the site. But one of the reasons that we found out that sort of um in well not inspired the sale, but what became a catalyst for the sale of Sheen is that their distillery itself was wearing out. They'd worked its ass off. Yeah, it was getting pretty smashed, so they would have actually had to replace the entire distillery, all the all the stills, the mash tons, whatnot, and that is a multi-million dollar project. Yeah, and so something that we already knew from Lark's announcement of the purchase of the site is that they're basically going to build an entirely new distillery sort of just in the paddock in front of where the existing one is and de- um, decommission the existing one. So, so really, um, Sheen will join... The very small little catalogue of closed Tasmanian distillers, and Lark will continue on on those on those grounds. But um, yeah, Tasmania only has a very small amount of closed distilleries. Yeah, Scotland, on the other hand, mm. has had its. They've been going at it for a lot longer than yeah, we have. Yeah. So there's got been a bit of history there. A lot more opportunity for things to fail or 
have economic downturns, mm. merge with other things. Bits just, and pieces going yeah. on. And one of the, my favorite things is that they don't describe them as closed distilleries. They're called lost distilleries. Mm. Very poetic. So we thought this is a great waffle topic. We should get in there and discuss some of Scotland's great lost distilleries. Right. Let's bust out the map. Yeah. And uh, let's get lost. I might turn you up a bit, Ted. Might turn you on a bit. <laughs> I'm always ready to have my nipples tweaked. The Waffle. So the Scottish whiskey industry has been around for a while, right? A reasonable amount of time, I'd say. Yeah, we'll say over 200 years. Um, so it's inevitable in that time some of these distilleries have closed. Absolutely. Well, I'd probably say there's quite a lot of ones. Yeah, that have, well... If, especially if you go back into, like, we talk about the Scottish whiskey industry... Mm. But as a sort of just a social pursuit, uh, a, <laughs> well, not even a social pursuit. It's it's just part of the culture, a cultural pursuit, a spiritual pursuit, a spiritual pursuit. <laughs> Distilling and sort of in Scotland has been going on for a lot longer than that. Absolutely, and yeah. Homesteads, crofters, people, um, yeah. yeah, distilling, and so there's been hundreds of. People have started and then stopped. Yeah, so in the 1800s, there was over like 200 distilleries going in Scotland. But mm. by the by the end of the war, uh, the Second World War, that is, there was probably down to about maybe 130, mm. 120, 130. Although there was a bit of a growth after the Second World War. Yeah, so I suppose in terms of in terms of the Scottish whiskey industry and um, sort of its peaks and troughs, you can really sort of look at two major points in the history. So there's the war, which... Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a bit going on then. Yeah. Probably both wars, actually, I'd say, had yeah. an effect. A lot of distilleries were mothballed during that time, yep. um, or their production was turned to other uses. Yep. But then after that... Yeah, let's make whiskey again. Let's make whiskey again. There's a big boom mm. between sort of 1945 and then going up to 1975, 80. Yeah, 1984 is about the uh, the big year where things um, really yeah. slid for the worst. Yeah, and it was almost like there was too much of a boom, like an unsustainable boom. Yeah. Like they were making too much whiskey there all was, of a There was a ma- massive oversupply. Now, the other thing that... So looking back from our vantage point here, single malts today are a huge deal like yeah well everyone, that's, that's what we drink everyone is after single malts but back at back sort of going into that period of the 80s and even before that like single malts really just didn't exist particularly it, it was no, it weren't a thing it was yeah. all blends it was all created for blends to create different yeah. character for blends so when and, you start getting um austerity measures coming in under thatcher and mm. various other sort of factors coming into play oversupply of whiskey not able to uh, make enough money to make your distillery sustainable, yep. you're going to start closing a few. Yeah, that's it. And the ones they were starting to close are the ones that are, well, I suppose the ones that are less profitable. And sometimes that means that they're in really inaccessible places, like in the high highlands or like far out of the way. The ones that are just really small, they're not really justifying their existence because they're not big enough. And also, and this is something I found quite interesting, the ones that are producing a non-remarkable spirit were being yeah. closed because you're making it for blends and if all you're making is something generic and flavorless, well, you may as well be using the whatever grain stuff just goes in to bulk out the blend. Absolutely. that That's it. Like, we're going to close this distillery because it's not going to affect the profile of the blend that we're creating and we're instead going to use the capital um, from that and the money that we're saving off it 
to pump into developing our bigger distilleries, mm. upgrading their technology, making them more efficient to run, yep. and pumping out more whiskey from those ones. But they didn't necessarily think through fully all of these decisions because they did close a few gems. Absolutely. And this was just before single malt boomed as a market. Mm. And now that's what everyone's chasing. Yep. <laughs> uh, and it's so so random that some of these distilleries that they shut have gone on to become cult classics. And in some of these cases, it might be because they were shut. But in other cases, and I truly believe this, they actually had some truly remarkable spirits sitting there. Mm. And we know this because those distilleries that were shut in the mid to early 80s, those ones, they still have spirit existing. And you and I can try that if we want to splash out enough money. That's it. There's still a lot of stock um, remaining from distilleries. A lot of it's being sort of eked out over the years coming out and and mostly it's more expensive releases as well the sort of overarching companies that own these distilleries still Mm. will bring this out from time to time in different ages quite often it's much older whiskey as well yeah and that makes sense because time has passed but the thing is that's undeniable is it's getting rarer and rarer to find these things and they're getting more and more expensive to find but sometimes there is enough groundswell behind a particular brand that Something changes. Mm. Um, there's a there's a couple of um, there's a few brands that are actually coming back. Comeback kings. Yeah, exciting stuff. The the buildings still exist. Yep. Maybe the infrastructure within those buildings is being dismantled and long gone. Yeah. But we will rebuild. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start off our little exploration of. Lost distilleries. Lost distilleries with one that's been found. Yeah. <laughs> found and sent to us in a box. I mean, I don't think anyone actually forgot where it was. <laughs> um, but it's it's a very beautiful box as mm. well. It's yeah. just a small bottle and a small box, but it's very nicely packaged. So this one is the Rosebank 30-year-old. 30 Chapter year old. 1. You said they were getting old, Ted. Yeah. Well, so this, this is... Uh, stock from back in the day, obviously. Mm. Um, so Rosebank has been reopened by um, In the Cloud Distillers, so mm. they're independent, family-owned um, business. They are traditionally known as sort of independent um, blenders and uh, ages, but more recently they've got into distilling game. So they own uh, Glengoyne, they own Tamdu, and they've opened up uh, mm. Rosebank. So just just to give you a little spiel. For 25 years, the Rosebank Distillery lay dormant, nestled on the banks of the Forth and Clyde Canal, Scotland. The once-beloved single malt was all but relegated to the history books, until we at Ian McLeod Distillers awoke the sleeping giant. Please excuse my non-Scottish accent here. <laughs> Resurrecting this mighty colossus has been no easy feat, but since acquiring the distillery in 2017, we've been working tirelessly to do so. This includes building a state-of-the-art distillery set to open in 2022, that's this year. Yeah. That's, what, that's we'll, why we've saved it till now, isn't yeah. it, Ted? Yeah. Where we'll employ the uh, same unique production techniques for which Rosebank Rose is famed. Just just unique? Well, is marrying triple distillation and worm tub condensers unique? <laughs> well, it is on this particular location. Yes. And that's from Robbie Hughes, the distillery manager. So whereabouts is uh, Rosebank from now? I've received a glass in front of me. Yeah, okay. So as as I mentioned before, it's on the banks of the uh, Forth and Clyde uh, Mm. rivers. Uh, No, well, not river, canal. So this is the canal that um, connects Edinburgh to Glasgow. And so they they thought that that would be a really good place to um, 
how's a distillery. And it's like, yeah, this is a great place to establish it, except the canal at that point was pretty bloody filthy and yuck. <laughs> and it's not really Don't the best be making place whiskey to out of that. Draw, draw your water from. Mm. But so mm. the Stark family. <laughs> Up the north. north. No, um, so different Stark family. Oh, There's right, actually okay. a earlier Rosebank distillery, which okay. was founded by the Stark family. And I think there might have even been an even earlier distilling operation that was happening around that mm. area but so the stark family apparently opened it and then they went to the camelon distillery camelot no not camelot camelon okay right camelon um and then the new rosebank distillery was built in the malting house previously owned by camelon this is the old new rosebank because there's a new new rosebank yeah. now yeah and this is, so sorry, yeah, and then we've got the new new but I think the new 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 one is on the same site as the original All oh, right, gotcha. um, one. So yeah, so it, it's another one that was mothballed during the war. Yep. Um but then so hit nineteen ninety three. So mm-hmm. this is this is actually pushed through into the nineties. Yeah. Um so UDV it's it's not well, I suppose it is partly an economic reason, but apparently they shut it. Because they didn't want to pay the costs to upgrade the effluent treatment plant. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but so uh, it's been restored by McLeod, um, and yeah, they they're going to that triple triple distilled mm. worm tub um, called whiskey. So the worm tubs. They're right. That is quite unique. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the worm tubs, um, I think, cool the whiskey faster, and there's less contact with copper coming out of it. So I think it's. Right. It's it's been sort of lowlands. You tend to think of maybe as a bit of a lighter sort of yeah, not quite as having as much body as some yeah. some other ones. So yeah, but having those, I think there's yeah yeah. Well, so apparently it's it's a fruity floral style, but known as being heavier bodied yeah. due to that less. That was going to be my comment. Like yeah. it's got this sort of um sweet appley thing on the nose. It's almost like a space side. But then when you take a sip, it's got this yeah. It's not quite an ashy thing, but it's quite a it's non-peated, so mm. quite like a. It's got a few tannins there. It's got like a, a really sort of dark dried fruit there. Um, it's an interesting balance because the disparity between the nose and the palate is quite quite well stark. It's got a really nice fruity sort of. It's apricots. There's peaches. It's sort of a bit of citrus in there. Mm, but some of these fruits have been stewed almost to the point of being burnt. Mm, you're right. Is Rosa? Um, I think. I think. That sort of hip, even though it's triple distilled, mm. that oilier body is probably why people have remembered mm. it so fondly and want that to come back. And now, now that the canal has been cleaned up <laughs> considerably, and it's yeah. a it's a beautiful touristy location, mm. it'll taste completely different. That yeah, <laughs> that's part of the reason I think for also restoring the distillery because it's in such a good location yeah. for tourism. Yeah, yeah, well, stay tuned for Rosebank in the future. Now. No discussion about lost distilleries would be complete without mentioning Portellan. Portellan! The port of Ellen, one of my favourite little townships in the entire world. Beautiful. A beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, and if you, you head um, out east slightly from Port Ellen, then you get to the distilleries Ardbeg, Lafroig, Lagavulin. But if you stay in Port Ellen, then there is another building with the big lime-washed white walls and black lettering on it. And it says Portellan. And up until recently, all it has been is a malting house because the distillery has been long since shut. But it has been a distillery in the past. 
Um, it started out actually as a molding house in its 1820s sort of foundations, but very quickly went on to become a distillery, mm. uh, making whiskey for, yeah, 100 years. But again, once Second World War came around, it was mothballed and didn't start up again until the 1960s. Now, Port Ellen would have to be the cult lost distillery. Yeah, and that's the surprising thing for me. It's a cult lost distillery, but it only started up again in the 1960s and then only lasted until 1984 when it was shut down by the owners, Diageo. Mm. And Diageo, they also owned Kalila and Lagavulin and assumed these distilleries would pick up the slack. And of course, as you said before, this is a pre-single malt world and they only started discovering the worth of what they had when they started doing Diageo special releases like Christmas time or they do sort of single malt releases, a bit of a bonus. And of course, everybody loved the Port Ellen ones. Um, and they thought these these are the best ones. And they developed a bit of a cult following. And this, like, obviously the people who were trying it knew that the distillery had shut. So there's probably a bit of bias that's always been associated with Port Ellen. Yeah. But I also think that it probably is... It's probably as good as people say because I, I've tried a couple of different Patellans in my life and both of them were exceptional. I See, I've never tried a Patellan. It's been on my list to do for a long time, but it, it's bloody expensive as well. Mm. Like, bottles go for 5000 bucks and stuff. I know, it's, it's ridiculous these days. You just can't do it. And they were, um, yeah, so they shut the distillery down in the 80s and the stills were sold for scrap. Basically, cleared out the whole space. They've turned into a big malting floor. Um, that's where a lot of the Peter malt for Lafroig and whatnot um, Lagavulin and whatnot gets to come from. But yeah, they have, like Rosebank, just recently opened the doors again. They've got some new stills in and they're up and running. Port Ellen is back. Now, I can I think I can very much get behind Rosebank coming back. I don't where it's located and sort of I suppose yes, it does have a following. But it's just not the same thing as Portellan. I feel like Portellan is sort of this has been this mythical beast that you get all these rare, amazing bottlings and it's something that you, you're sort of chasing the dragon with it. And opening it up again almost feels sort of a bit sacrilegious. Like it's, <laughs> and does it, does it then diminish the sort of that sort of lost stuff that's come before? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But the thing is, Ted, how much Port Ellen have you had in your life? None. Well, this is it. The only thing that's going to change is you might actually get to try it. Are you worried that it won't live up to what you think it should be? Yeah, well, see, this is it. Maybe I need to. Maybe I actually need to try some Patellan first. Yeah, old Which, Patellan. Yeah, form old, an opinion. Old Patellan first. I just, I need to. Well, I need to go back to Isla and just mm. have someone in a bar and just lash, lash out the. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I've had a few quid. I've had it in a bar, but it wasn't on Isla. It was actually um up at at Drum and Rocket. Drum and Rocket. Yeah, at Fiddlers. Yep. Um, second time poured by the man John Beach himself. So that's where I had a forty-year-old. Uh, um, Cadenhead's Glen Farkless, I do believe. Cadenhead's yeah. Glen Farkless, which was well. Yeah. Speaking of um, distilleries along a sim- similar note, there's Brora. Mm. Brora also Diageo, and they're also coming back. So Brora, yeah, very similar story to Port Ellen, um, was considered surplus by Diageo. I think it's because they're in quite a uh, hard to get to location. They're up quite a fair way north. Um, certainly in the highlands, the high highlands, like get to Dalmore, Glenmorangie, you keep going north. They're not quite as far as Old Putney, but up that way. And um, Brora used to make heavily peated malt just to sort of, it was actually 
designed to cover the slack when there was a drought on Isla and they couldn't produce enough uh, peated malt for blends. And so Brora was making a bunch of really heavily peated stuff to try and make up for that. But come the 1970s, um, they started, uh, I guess there was enough Isla malt, so they started just reverting back to that light peated Highland style. But it was considered surplus to requirements and they, yeah, they shut down. And um, unlike Potellan and Rosebank, the stills remained there. Um, Patellan, they were sold for scrap, but Brora, they stayed on site, untouched, maybe a little bit sort of um, inhabited by rats, but they stayed sitting there for years and years and years. And they wanted to redo the building around these stills, but they couldn't take the roof off to get a, you know any sort of cranes in because if they took the roof off, the walls would fall down. So they had to um, basically yeah, um, redo the entire building, um, take the stills away to get them sort of updated. And yeah, they've got them up and running again. And I think Brora should be about releasing something by about 2030. Nice. Now, um, for their new correct establishment. Me if I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that Brora is a sister distillery to Clanellish. It's in the town of Clanellish. Yeah, I think I think they're actually connected. I I might be wrong on this. I I'm sure I remember reading. I think there was a bit of swapsies with those distilleries. I think Clanellish used to actually be where Brora is now, and then they moved Clanellish to a new building, and then Brora was set up in. Yeah, well, I I, I heard that um that peated, peated stuff. Yeah, I heard that um Brora used to just be called Kleinelish, but then they set yeah. up Kleinelish elsewhere and they changed the name to Brora. So pretty much, yeah, that's yeah. the same story that we both heard. Yeah, <laughs> again, interesting. There's there's a lot north of Inverness, and I've not made it north of Inverness. That yeah. might be somewhere I have to go next time. Yeah, up in up in the north, we've really not been at all. No, I'd like to get up to um, Dalmore and Op. Yeah, no, there. definitely, and um. Interesting fact about Brora, um, there was a 1972 edition, a 40-year-old Brora, um, that in 2014, when it was sold, became the most expensive Diageo single malt ever sold. Wow. At the time. Nice. Yeah. How much? Um, 7,000 pounds, or <laughs> over 7,000 pounds. So. That's that's quite a bit of money. Yeah. Another interesting one is Little Mill. Yeah. And I love, I love the name Little Mill. Um, I don't know why, it just seems quite quaint. I don't know. Is it is it better or worse than Daft Mill um, or Malt Mill? <laughs> Daft Mill is a bit silly. Malt Mill is boring. No, Little Mill is quite quite cute. Mm. So Little Mill are sort of one of the distilleries that straddles the Highlands Lowlands sort of barrier. Yep. But generally, is considered a lowland distillery. And um, yeah, they they're actually considered the oldest distillery in Scotland, mm. if they were still existing. Mm. That is. So yeah, Little Mill were granted a. Well, basically, they're considered to be founded in 1772, and they've they've actually got paperwork from King George III um, in 1773, um, stating that they were being granted a license. So, so think of it as the first legal distillery. Yeah, right. And I was just doing some maths. 1772, that's exactly 250 years ago. Yeah. So if they were still existing, there'd be 250 year 200, celebrations right going on right years now. Old. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, if we go off the date that King George um, issued this um, uh, permit, then next year is the 250 year celebration. So I really think, yeah, Little Mill's got something exciting going on there. Um, and again, they they've changed hands a bunch of times. They actually they're one of the first distilleries to have a female licensee. Um, her name was Jane McGregor in 1823. Actually, yeah, I think I've heard of her. Yeah, but it was closed in 1984. Again, that sort of time of death for distilleries, and all of their stocks were bought up by Loch Lomond. There you go. Interesting. Interesting. That yeah, 250 years. That that mm. would have been incredible. Yeah, yeah. 
so I suppose the last the last one I want to mention um, in our little tour of some of the lost ones is um, St. Magdalene. It's a lowland distillery. Yep. It was originally called, um, or it's been interchangeably known as uh, Linlithgow okay. Distillery because that's the town that it's in and apparently yep. it's had whiskey released under the name Linlithgow. You can actually get uh, that. It's the same one. Um, interestingly enough, so the, the site that it was built on was originally the site of a Lazar house. Do you know what oh, really? Lazar house is? Uh, Lazar. Someone with leprosy? Yeah. So, yeah, it yeah. was a... And it was like a hospital and stuff as well. But yeah, so originally the site housed uh, lepers. Yeah. In need of some whiskey. But where it really sort of took off was... Maybe it's a cure, actually. Whiskey, yeah. yeah. Rub, rub it on oneself. <laughs> Apply liberally internally to take away the pain. Yeah. Where it really took off, and for a lot of its history, um, was 1798. So purchased by Adam Dawson. Um, who owned the I think I think quite cute named uh, Bonnie Toon. Bonnie Toon. Bonnie Toon. T O U N. Bonnie Toon Distillery. <laughs> he owned that up until um, 1912 when it was sold to DCL, which then eventually became Diageo. Yep. Um, but uh, St Magdalene and Bonnie Toon merged operations uh, in 1826. Mm-hmm. Oh, so actually in 1914 under DCL. Later, Diageo, but it became one of the original five distilleries comprising the Scottish malt distillers, which I assume mm. was like a stable of yeah, DCL classic brands, malt. classic malt. So, yeah. along with yep. Rosebank, yeah. Glenkinchy, yep. Clydesdale, and Grange distilleries. Interesting. Yeah. So, a few lowlands in there. Rosebank's coming back. Glenkinchy is still around. Yep. Clydesdale and Grange. Mm-hmm. Whatever, but yeah. yeah, no, it sounds like there's a bit of lowlands going on. But magic year again, 1983. Yeah, 1983 sold. It's this one has no hope of coming back. So, yeah. um, St. Magdalene has been renovated into flats, yeah. but the pagoda roofs are still there and uh, listed as heritage structures. So, yeah, nice yeah, one. It's nice. Um, known for its sort of classic lowland style, apparently had a creamy feel with light fruity and delicate zesty notes which I could actually potentially verify because I happen to own a bottle of St Magdalene what I do you so got a I, bottle well let's crack it out now Ted yeah <laughs> Ian McLeod entering the uh, picture again mm. a lot of a lot of fingers and a lot of pies does this Ian McLeod mm. chap um <laughs> So I actually, I have a Dunvegan, um, so a Dunvegan independent brand under Emma Cloud's sort of stables of independent brands. Uh, so I have a St. Magdalene 1982, 26-year-old. Yep. Um, so it was distilled in 1981, right <laughs> yeah. right up to the line pretty much. Uh, it was bottled in 2009. It came out of one butt. A single cheek. Yep, 2219. Um, which produced 390 bottles at 50%. So, yeah. Well, Ted, why haven't you cracked into this just yet? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I should do it sometime. Yeah. But then again, this one's got no hope of coming back, so that's become a bit of a precious one, isn't rare it? Rare and rare, and you get around to the point of like, do I hold on to it mm. and in the future sell it for a decent price, or do I just crack in and drink it? Mm, and enjoy it. Yeah, it depends how good it tastes. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, hmm. uh, interesting we'll stuff. It would be interesting, like we've talked about Scotland, a couple of other countries that would have had a major share of distillery mm. closures. Ireland yep. would be one. Once oh, yeah. once uh, 
Scotland. Uh, what, what's what's old mate's name? Who um, coffee coffee soon? Yeah, 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 Mister Anius Coffee. Yeah, Enus. Yeah, Enus Coffee. Anus Coffee. Anus Coffee. Yeah, we we do like some Anus Coffee here. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So he tried to sort of get people in his own country interested in um, the uh, column still, and no, nah, nah. nothing doing. No. Nah. None of that. Bunted over to uh, was uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in England. I think at that time as well. Mm. Um, Scotland, they all took it up with great relish and <laughs> goodbye Irish whiskey industry. Yeah, until which, there was like three distilleries yeah, left. Three major. Another big one though would be um, America. Yeah, as well with with prohibition. Mm. Um, I'm sure that there were a lot of those um, distilleries probably going on at the time. Would have had to fold, yeah, yeah, and compress down into ones that could sort of just keep going and survive. Through. Forget about mothballing during the war; they were already mm. shut. Yeah, mm. yeah, and there's probably a, a whole bunch that started up on the east coast when the pilgrims mm. first arrived, or they didn't drink much booze. The pilgrims, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, not mm. not exactly known for their uh, quality, <laughs> and nah, unlike the uh, the guys that end up in Australia, <laughs> that was a different story. Yeah. So anyway, mm. lost distilleries. Yeah. Well, Ted, they were lost, but I think we found them. Indeed. It's been a fascinating discussion. Mm, absolutely. And we, we've barely scratched the surface. There are a heap more as well, but um, they're some of the famous ones. And feel free to tell us some stories of some more in any comment sections that you can find. Mm. The future is pretty bright for Archie Rose. All they have to do make enough whiskey to satisfy all their ballot holders. The whiskey. All right, Nick. Yes. We've jumped the back fence. And yeah, we certainly have. Scurried over to the distillery for um our next review. Now, this review is of a whiskey that not many people in the world will have got to try. There is subtle differences between the one that's been actually released. So, at Helly's Road, which is where our whiskey that we are reviewing is from, um, they have barrels sitting upstairs that you can go and fill your own bottle uh, from. And this one... Theob. Theob, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fill that's your own bottle. Fill your own business. No, okay, that's that's much later in the evening. No, um, <clears throat> this, <laughs> this particular one um, I filled when I was there recently. Filled, not filled. Gosh. Um, I filled when I was there recently. But I filled one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we filled our own. We didn't fill each other's. <laughs> Um, but this particular one was disappointingly similar to a release they've put out commercially. So, Hellis Road are going through some changes right now. Big changes. Mm. Major changes. Very major. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think in, under the previous regime they would have done something as ostentatious as uh, making a film. No, the the film is, is happening as we speak, actually. Yeah. And so they're making a little film about Henry Hellier. Mm. Um, so there's been a major regime change at Hellier's. The old crew are out. Um, love, the old love, guard. Yeah, the old guards. Absolutely lovely people. Yeah, um, legends But of they the scene. come to sort of the end of their tenure and there is the new kids in town, um, headed up by Andy Bauer, who is the new GM. But basically, so Mark Littler wore a great many hats in his role. Yeah, he, was he struggled to fit through doors. He had that many hats on. He was GM, he was head distiller, he was head of... Uh, well, he did all the better milk stuff as well. Yeah, when, he when that just was part of that. so many hats. Yeah. 
Andy has taken on one part of that. He's head... Um, general manager. Head, general manager. Um, you've also got Kit Middleton. He's now sort of in the sort of, I suppose, That's the whole marketing role. His surname is Middleton. I keep thinking Kit Harrington. But I- yeah. I almost said it. <laughs> You've got some new distillers in there as well. Mm. Um, a, a swathe of new distillers, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes me feel old. They're also young. Yeah. And he has a very strong background in the international drinks trade. He knows what he's about. And he has taken quite a, I feel, a surgical eye to the business and is looking to see how they can reinvent it. Um, and yeah, along with Kit as well, from a sort of a branding perspective. I think I think the feeling is that Helly's Road has got a bit stuck in the 2000s mm. and it's time to really sort of break out and really push the brand into the uh, uh, 20... Oh, Ted, the 2000s weren't that long ago, were they? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, 20, 20 years, man. Blimey. So there's been changes to bottles and things. Mm, but not quite the wholesale changes they intend to impart. I think I, we're at a sort of middle ground right now, sort yeah. of interim stage. And um, the the commercial release of the whiskey that we're reviewing today is part of that, um, I guess, that middle ground. So they released, they released two different whiskeys, didn't they? Yeah, so you've got a update to um, the Twin Oak, which was um, a release that came out, what, 2020-ish, I Something think? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And that um, was a blend between some of their triple distilled stuff and a younger Portwood release. Yeah, the new one is the Select mm, Cask, I boring think. Boring name. Boring name. Yeah. The other one that's come out is the Sherry Cask. Yeah. Um, the bottles are still the same shape, but the tubes have got new colours and things, but mm. they're still kind of similar. Yep. But uh, interestingly, this is the first sherry release that yeah. Helios have ever, well, released. Yep. It's it's uh, seven years old at the moment, I think. Mm. That, and it was interesting. They're sort of talking about like, well, we've sort of got in advice from um, Pat McGuire that this is kind of the time to release it, but we're not necessarily sure about that, but we mm. have done it, but... Like we'll probably there's a lot of water testing going we'll, on. We'll, we'll probably toes being dipped. Yeah, we'll probably do an eight year old and a nine year old and see how they go. But yeah, we, like we've been advised that sevens probably we can start getting this stuff out. Um, mm. uh, and so this sherry release um, was released at about forty six percent, but in the barrel upstairs it was in there at a slightly higher forty seven percent, which is much lower yes than what the barrels used to be. So. Back in the day, which is not very long ago no. as it happens, Helly's Road used to do a pretty ridiculous um, deal where you could go upstairs, fill up your um, bottle, you get to... Sort straight of fill, from a single cast. Straight from a single cast. You get to dip it in wax as well to seal it and it's all, all fun. But those casks were like, what, at 50-something percent? They were at 60-something percent. 60-something percent. And they were usually over 15 years old. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And they were delicious. And Ted and I probably, in hindsight, did not make the most of these deals. No, we did not. We should have bought more. Mm. Yeah, um, um, our, good, our good friend Viv um, did make the most of these. And I think that every time he bought one, it would last a grand total of about a fortnight before it was empty. Yeah, it was it was great. And they weren't that expensive. It was it was a good good times around. Now, the, the surgical eye I mentioned before has come in and looked at sort of these sort of practices and decided that no... We won't be releasing at those sort of strengths anymore. Mm. 
we'll, we'll still be releasing them as part of our um, tour, but it's going to be at a much more sensible and uh, cost-efficient 47%. Yeah, 48, I've just glanced in the back oh, there, yeah. 48.3. So, yeah, and um, interestingly as well, the single cast nature is gone. What we're actually pouring from is a vatting cask. Yes. So it's not, you know, barrel HR763. B like it's actually no nope, it's they blended a whole bunch together and they've got one of these big vanning casks is what we're filling from so Essent- it's not as unique as it used to be Ted <laughs> essentially what is in that bottle is very very close to um, what's in the retail release yeah just with a couple of um, percentage points added yep. on for a bit of fun yeah um, and I actually do appreciate those two percentage points um. Mm. Yeah, it gives gives this whiskey something something, a bit but of lusciousness. Mm, yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing with this whiskey is it tastes like no Hellers Road no. that's out there on the market, and that's why I wanted to do it as a review. I'm getting big Cointreau notes. Yeah, interesting. Or I get Cointreau Gromanier. It's like a orange liqueur in there with some undertones of musk stick. Yeah, <laughs> Ted. Dare I say it? Dare I? Dare you say it? Dare I say it? Here I go. I'm about to say it. I get. Sour plums. Sour plums. Oh my god. Yeah, he's right. The sour plums have arrived. <laughs> we we've always had a very sort of key critical tasting note with Helly's Road of butter. Mm. So butteriness. Yep. It's, Oily butter. It's, short. It's bread. almost been unmistakable in their spirit. Mm. This is still older stuff, so it's not like this is the new stuff that the no. they're fiddling around. We've got a with few, on the few years to go before we get to that stuff. So. Obviously, it's not really the spirit that's No, changed. this is Mark Littler distilled spirit. Yeah. And Mark Littler aged because, um, yeah, he picked these barrels out from um, an unsuspecting quarantine biosecurity officer. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, so it's obviously the influence of those casks on the spirit yep. that's, that's caused this The change. only decision is the percentage and when to release it yep. from the current regime. And that's, yeah, that's why this does very much feel like an interim release. Like, yeah, it's, it feels like a step in a direction, but it feels like a tentative one. Like, they're not sure if this is what they want to release or not. I don't think this is underdone. No. But I think there's still a bit of pink in the middle. Hmm. I think, I think maybe... maybe, you, it, maybe you like it, that mistake, too. Maybe it's edging on the rare side of medium rare, though. Hmm. And could, it could just have a... Maybe another year. To the thing really... is, I don't think it's rough. I think that a lot of that um, sharpness has aged out of it. I'm just wondering where it would go with a bit more time, or would it get too much? Would it doesn't need to be now yeah. decanted into another barrel? Or yeah, does it does it need to sort of rest in something for a yeah. bit? To... I mean, it's, it's... I, I'm sure there are some barrels that are still aging, so we'll find out. It's very oily. It's very sweet. It's very at the moment i'm just getting very citrus driven in particularly in the orange yeah no sort of you're direction. absolutely right yeah no i'm with you on that it's it's really not like any other hellier's road it's not like any other hellier's road and that's why i'm really interested to see it's not rough um, no interested to see what our patreons think because um yeah i just we need more opinions not many people have got to try this yet so yeah, basically, for those people that think they know Hell is Road, seek out the Sherry release, because you're very quickly going to um, very quickly going to have your mind changed. So whether that's for the better, for the worse, I can't answer that, mm. because Ted and I have, have long since made peace with the Hell is Road flavor, and um, yeah, we've tried some that are that are you know fairly average, and we've tried some that are exceptional, and this one, uh, 
This one's neither. And as we keep mentioning, this is merely transition. Yeah. Come sort of the end of this year into 2023, watch for a major rebranding, reinvention of the Hellier's Road sort of whole entire ship. Yeah. They're they're basically upgrading it from like a a sort of a timber pleasure boat into a uh, steel warship, so... Yeah, you're not wrong. It's interesting stuff, Um, but... I think at this stage, I'm I'm perfectly happy to give it three stars. I'm perfectly happy to give it three stars as well. The only thing that makes me a bit sad, I want a cask strength version. Yeah. I want that uh, straight from the cask thing going on. But that one will have to wait. Anyway, um, otherwise, if you've tried it and you have thoughts, mm. let us know. Um, if you've not tried it and you have thoughts, <laughs> well, let us know as well. That's how the world of social media works, isn't it, Ted? Certainly does. Or Kroisk. Or Thrusk. Or Thrusk. Or Thrusk. I can I can Hip Thrust. Hip Thrust, yes, or Thrusk. Fresh meat! Fresh meat! So Ted, read out the back of this bottle that we're trying right now. Pete was a maltman. One day he shoveled too much peat into the kiln. With smoke billowing out of the pagodas, the distillery manager shouted, For Pete's sake, what are you doing? There's smoke everywhere. <laughs> Surprisingly, the whiskey from this very smoky and peaty malted barley was intensely flavoured with an exceptional finish. And that is the completely true story of how Peter whiskey came into existence. Yep. The back of a label would not lie, would it? So, for Pete's sake, blended Scotch whiskey <laughs> is a tribute to Pete and his rich, smoky, and peaty whiskey. I've, I've never heard of this one. For Pete's sake, it's called. I think it must be new. Well, at least yeah. it's new to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, it's called For Pete's Sake. It's a blend. It's 40%. It was about 60 bucks. Yeah. And I got it because I was like, well, if this is decently nice and peaty mm. and it's cheap, could it be like these, like a good camping, quaffing peaty whiskey? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you, take, you take away your Outdoor cheap sort, sort of. of. Yeah. Um, cheap blend, and then you take your Pete's sake for your mm. Pete hit later in the night. But um, yeah, on the nose, it's it's not as peaty as I'd like it to be. No, it's, it is there. I want I want the uh, Pete notches turned up a bit. No, there's no happy Pete's not going on for me. No happy head. Pete's not going on for me, and that that is a mark of whether a uh, peated whiskey is good. So this this is um, it's a nice label. <laughs> distilled, matured, and blended and bottled in Scotland at Angus Dundee Distillers. Right. I don't know. It is a nice bottle. It's it's got that sort of I don't know I don't know quite how to describe it. Sort of etching Victorian etching kind of look. Mm. Well, it's an interesting one to finish the night with, and um, I I doubt many of our listeners will have tried it yet, but maybe um, you'll see it in in your local Dan's. Yeah, it was in Uncle Dan's. Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna have a sip. Yeah, I better do the same. Um, there's a light bit of peating there. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. If if you were someone who well had never had peat before, yeah, it probably would be pretty full on. But you know what I'm getting? A lot of Johnny Walker Black Label, double black. It's it's hinting towards double black. I'd say the double black has a little bit more body. Do this we one's like quite it light. Better than Johnny Walker Black okay. slash double black. I reckon I like it better than Johnny Walker Black, but not as much as Johnny Walker Double Black. Yeah, right. I think that if they turned up the smoke notches just a little bit more mm. it would have it would have worked 
Yeah. I, th- I think it it doesn't quite have enough to it to really sell it. Yeah. But it's also a quite sweet, like on the palate, mm. which is a really interesting. Um, I actually think this would be quite a good cocktail whiskey. Yeah, it's it's got a bit of it's got a bit of sort of umami kind of, mm. and then the sweetness, and then that bit of smoke. Yeah, and the, the smoke. Like obviously, it has to be the right whiskey to, to incorporate that smoke. But do you um, reckon in, in an old fashioned? Because it's not, old fashioned. It's not too. Smoky, so it's no, like, it's not too smoky. Exactly, it's not too smoky. So it, it work prob- with a bit of bitters. Probably add, actually add a nice bit of complexity to mm. a an old fashioned without overwhelming it with that smoke. So yeah, no, that that's where my mind worked because I think there's enough sort of um, yeah, those sort of sweeter like um, it'll cut through something. Yeah, I'd say this is a very sessionable piece of whiskey. Well, this is it. Like I've half finished the dram already. It's Pretty easy going, but um, yeah, there you go. Look, if you if you're after a cheapest chips, smoky whiskey, inverted comma smoky, yeah. smoky ish, yeah, yeah, whiskey, um, yeah, it's. I think it's got some merit to it. I think it'd be a nice one in a decanter on a mantelpiece. Um, but uh, to be fair, the bottle itself is quite pretty. Like, I think the marketing is pretty spot on. Yeah, look, I think I could happily have a quantity of this on a camping trip yeah well this is it outdoors and with some food i reckon sitting around the fire with some mates um it's not sort of sharp on the palate or anything it's it's actually quite smooth hmm yeah it, it doesn't have that sort of bit of a cheaper whiskey kind of blend no it doesn't make of, you wince when you drink it no that is a very good point yeah, the balance of flavors is not quite how I would prefer them, but it's also probably balanced them enough to hide any imperfections. Yeah, I th- I think probably actually the peat masks some of those little blips that you get in. Like if you took the peat out of this, mm. it might be a bit jaggy, but yeah, the peat there, and and probably we're being maybe sort of. A bit too overly biased on it because we're because like, we expect it's called for like, Pete's sake. We, we expect want it like Pete. Octomore. Give us Pete, damn it! Yeah, give give us Oxymore, and then yeah, it's like, yeah. no, actually, it's we're giving you a a nice little bit of smoky mm. sort of. But let's leave our listeners yeah. with this, Ted. Which would you prefer, this one or Big Pete? Probably the Big Pete. Yeah, Big Pete's better. Mm. Big Pete's um, more expensive though, too. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So. There are bottles out there, and you guys at home might have tried some peated whiskeys, like peated blends or peated, you know, sort of gimmicky releases. There's certainly a bit of gimmick about this. One that we'll have to save for another time. Mm. That's uh, a little teaser at the end of the episode. A little teaser might come come out on a future episode. Is something uh, that's new, at least to me. But it's, I think the whole packaging and stuff looks interestingly new as a release, is the um, Six Isles Blended Scotch Malt Whiskey. Six Isles? Six how many Isles. How many Isles? This is a bit like the um, Six Woods that we talked about. <laughs> Almost, yeah. except lo- locations rather than sticks. Mm. Um, it's a Ian McLeod uh, release. Mm-hmm. Been getting a lot of love on this uh, episode, Ian yeah. McLeod. But, um, it's all about Ian McLeod. Yeah, Six Isles. Sponsored by do, Ian McLeod. Do, do what you will with that name and what it might... Uh, relate to but yeah so um, if you're interested in the the pop quiz go and pause the podcast and try and think of six islands from Scotland go 
Okay, you unpause the podcast. Ted, you want to reveal the answers? I can I can certainly do that. It was not Harrison Lewis. <laughs> no. Trick question, it's the same place. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Harris and Lewis. It's like it's it's yeah, the whole island is not included in this. Yeah. So um, it's the other six. So six aisles. Uh this is actually a blend, a malt blend. Mm, um, vatting. Vatting of uh whiskies from Orkney, yep. Aaron, Mull, Sky, Jura and Isla. Mm. They are the six biggest whiskey islands of Scotland. So, some whiskey from each of those. It doesn't state the distillery, but um, yeah, maybe when we get to try that soon on a future episode, we'll try and pick out what's in there. Indeed. What could possibly go wrong? Anyway, um, good chat. Uh, lost distilleries. Mm. Very interesting. I think I think this has been we've we've done one of our uh, occasional educational episodes yeah well uh it was it was really interesting finding out a little bit more of a deep dive because obviously we all know about patellin but yeah just finding out a bit more it's very interesting mm. and yeah uh look out for those big changes at heli's road coming out later this year yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens will it will it be our same heli's road will will we walk in and sort of not know where we are <laughs> yeah these people will be like looking at us like who are you and it's like where was Waffle? Like who? We've been hanging around here for years. We're like rats in the walls. <laughs> it's like, yeah, nah, no idea anymore. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Um, please uh, hit us up on socials about anything you wish wish to discuss. Mm. Um, go check out our Patreon. Um, our Patreon uh, listeners will be receiving a sample of our review whiskey this month, which was was the Hellier's Road Sherry Cask. Mm, if that yeah. interests you, or if you just want access to exclusive uh, material like um, the Faints. Overdue. I'm overdue a Faints. Overdue a Faints, which yeah. is our uh, sort of sort of off-air rambling waffle section. <laughs> um, which Waffle uncut. Waffle uncut, yep. Uh, yeah, go check that out. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Please stay safe, as always. Um, it's been a pleasure waffling at you. Yeah, I like to think waffling with you. Yeah. All these guys have got a dram poured, ready to go. Some of them might be on their commute to work, but, um, you know, that hip flask, most people on the train didn't even notice. Well, good luck with the surreptitious drinking of your uh, hip flask. <laughs> and, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I've been Nick. I've been Ted. And keep on waffling. Good night. Good night. Whiskey Waffle recommends you drink whiskey responsibly and only if you're above the legal drinking age in your country. Our lawyers made us say that. Or at least, they would have if we actually had lawyers. This particular one, um, I filled when I was there recently. Filled, not filled. Gosh. Um, I filled when I was there recently. But I filled one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we filled our own. We didn't feel each other's. <laughs>